Um, I'm excited about this morning and what we're going to be talking about as we continue in our series in the beginning. We are going back to the book of Genesis and we are going to march through it for a little while as we're beginning this new year. Uh, I thought it would just be great to go back to the beginning of the Bible and really set our foundation for this whole year on, on who God is and, and how it all started. And, and I believe in doing so, it is going to launch us into really great things this year. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about in the beginning God. We went to Genesis 1 verse 1 and we really hammered home those four words. And then we kind of like, you know, quickly went through the rest of the chapter. This morning, we're going to do it different. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to dissect this whole thing. It's going to be a lot of fun, but let's first remember what we talked about last week. In the beginning, God, right? Not his beginning, but our beginning. That God was before all things, right? He stood outside of time, stands outside of time, and rules over us. In the beginning, God means God is all authority. And with that authority, he only does good, okay? And that is still going to be the narrative today as we continue on in, in our study of in the beginning. And so let's pray as, as we launch into this this morning. Father God, we give you this time wholly and completely. This is your time set apart for you. God, I would ask that you would speak through me, that you would shut my mouth to anything that is not of you, and that I would be bold to speak your truth as well. God, give us all hearts to receive what you want to say today. God, I, I pray fully, Jesus, that we would examine our hearts this morning not assuming that we have it all under control or that we have all the answers, but that we would have ears to hear what you want to say in this time. We surrender this time to you, Lord. We surrender it fully and completely. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Okay, great stuff in these first two verses. However, we are not going to unpack them today because two months ago in November, we did a three-week series on rest. All right, and so if you would like to know more about what this whole rest thing is that God is talking about in Genesis 2, I encourage you to go on our website, click on watch, and you can watch those three sermons at your convenience, okay? But we're not going to do that today, even though they are incredibly important. Now, if you weren't here back in November, watch them. Or if you need a reminder, if it's the new year and you've been trying to rest and you just can't get to that place, please go back. Watch those sermons. It was a good, it was a good few weeks talking about rest, but that's not for today. We are going to continue on. However, before we go any further in this study, I want to talk about the context of the entire Bible. Right? Because when we study the word, when you, when you study a story or a chapter or this or that, a, a book in the Bible, it is so vitally important to understand the context with which it was written. And a lot of times we get in trouble and pastors and preachers and whoever get in trouble because we take a verse and we put it right here and we study it and it's completely out of context. And we get all sort of misunderstandings from it. Well, what I want to talk about to start is not just Genesis context, but the entire Bible's context. All right? And that is this, the Bible is not an instruction manual to tell us how to love God. It is not about us loving God. The Bible is about who God is and the fact that God is love. 
in that he loves us. That is the Bible. For God so loved the world, right? Love is the verb. God is the subject. We are the object of his love. But we are not the subject of it, all right? We are not the subject of the word. God is. When we start putting ourselves as the main character of the Bible, truth immediately starts to get distorted and all messed up because now we are the center of our existence. We are the main character of God's word, and we're not. We're not. And the reason that truth starts to get distorted when we make ourselves the main character is because we change. We change all the time. Listen, when Jesse and I got married, when we first got married, it was all about getting a house with granite countertops. I don't know why, but granite countertops was like the, the bar that we had to set to be a, a happily married couple, right? If we just get that, we're going to save up and by golly, granite countertops. There might have been other things, but that's just what I remember. All right. 14 years later, we ain't got granite countertops. You know what we got? We got four chickens in the backyard that poop everywhere. Because we've changed. Like granite countertops, chicken poop, all right? I used to go to the store and just buy one pair of black vans that I would wear for an entire year until all the holes started going and I, and I was forced to buy another pair. Now, I've changed. I get a black pair and I bought a blue pair, right? And I alternate depending on the outfit and the ensemble, okay? This morning it was black. Next week, maybe it'll be blue. But I've changed, right? We've all changed. And so we can't be responsible for the burden of truth when we change all the time. Because then truth changes all the time and it becomes relative and it means that there is no truth. So we can't be the main character of the Bible. However, God, who never changes, who was the same yesterday, today, and forever, is truth, and his truth remains. And so because of that, we can go to the word and we can see what truth is. When we are living out our life and we are confused and we don't have the answers, we don't have to look in the mirror and say, well, what is truth today? We say, Lord, show me your truth, which doesn't change. He takes that responsibility off of us. And he says, I am the truth. Look at me, because guess what? You're not the main character. I am. I'm the main character of the Bible. The context is how God loves us. Well, how does God love us? Jesus. How did he create us? Jesus. How did he save us? Jesus. How was he going to save us again? Jesus. Jesus is the main character of the Bible. From the very first page of Genesis to the last page of Revelation and everything in between, it's about Jesus. But what he does is he says, here, come into my story. Come into my story. And you're going to be the object of my love. You're going to be the object of my love. But it's not us. And we have to understand that when we open the Bible and we read it, not to put ourselves as the main character. So we get in a lot of trouble when we do that. We start to manipulate scripture and change scripture because we don't like what it says. It doesn't fit our agenda. It doesn't fit our comfort, right? But that's where the truth is. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. 
This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as we read this, what we see here is that God's intention in creation, as he has all this authority and only does good, his intention from the very beginning was to place man in paradise. He says, I'm going to give you the best of the best, and I'm going to put you right in it. I mean, do you hear those words that we just read? These beautiful trees that, that had delicious fruit and, and the, these springs that came up from out of the ground that watered it all. I mean, this is paradise. When God creates, he creates good things. Because in all of his authority, he only does good. And so his intention from the very beginning was to place man in paradise. But things happen. Continuing on in verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay, so in verses 15 through 17 of Genesis chapter 2, God gives man three things. In these three verses, he gives him three things. The first thing he gives him is a job. He said, here is this garden. I'm placing you in it, and your job is to tend over it. You are to watch over it. You are in charge of it. Okay? Because work is a good thing. Work comes from the Lord. It is not an idol. It's not something that we uh, make our life completely about, right? And again, go back to the series on rest. It'll talk more about that. But it is a good thing. And so God gives man a job right off the bat. The second thing that he gives man is a warning. He says, all right. You're going to watch over this, but don't do this one thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he explains why. Because if you do, you are sure to die. And it, it's, it's in God's love that he is so crystal clear in this warning. He doesn't say, don't eat from that tree because there's a chance that you might die. This could happen if you do this. He says, no, you are sure to die. You will die. When we get out of the intentions of God, when we get out of that umbrella that God has us in, this intention that he has for us, and we start going our own way, and we make ourselves the main character in our life and in our walk with the Lord, we are sure to find sin and death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We earn death. And this is the announcement that God gives man in this moment. If you do this, if you go against what I say, you're going to die. It's the announcement of death. There's no talk of death up until this point. Everything's been about creation and creating things. And these things are good. Then all of a sudden, here it is. In this moment, in the garden... God says, yeah, 
if you sin, you're going to die. And that's the trouble that we find ourselves in when we get outside of his covering, outside of his intention. And so we might ask, well, then if this God that only does good and all his authority, if that's true, why does he even put a tree like this in the garden? Why, does he even, why is that even a possibility? Why would he do that if he only does good? That doesn't sound good to me. And the reason that he does this is because of the third thing that God gives man in these verses. And that is the freedom of choice. He gives man the integrity to make a choice. You notice that he doesn't say this to any of the animals. He doesn't say, if you graze over there, animal, you're going to die. Right? If you eat that vegetable animal, you're going to die. He only gives the choice to man. Why? Because as last week we talked about God is all authority, this week God is relational. God is relational. And he wants to have a relationship with us. But without freedom of choice, there's no relationship. There's only enslavement. And God is not interested in having a bunch of slaves or robots. He wants a relationship with us. And in order to have a relationship, we have to choose. And that is a gift. That's what he wants. When I propose, sorry, I keep talking about Jesse this morning. Sorry, Meg. Um, but when I proposed to Jesse, no one made me do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted that relationship with her. So I asked her for it. And in a momentary lapse of judgment, she said yes. I will give you all the countertops that you want. Okay. When you get married and you're at the altar, no one has a gun to your head. You're there because you want to be there. Because you have chosen to be there. Because you love that person. It's not enslavement. It's a choice that you make for a relationship that you want to enter into. And so God said, I'm going to put this one tree here. You have the rest of the garden. But I'm telling you, don't eat that one. Choose me. Choose all the other good things that I have for you that will not lead to death, and you'll have life. But there has to be a choice. There has to be a choice. What will we choose? The sad part is, we want the freedom of choice without the consequences that come along when we make the wrong choice. We want to have the freedom to just kind of do whatever we want, right? With no accountability, no consequence. But then when we choose wrong, it's like, well, God, why would you do that? Are you serious? But here's the thing, y'all. When we mess up, we're like, we're like a rock that's thrown into a lake. And there's this ripple effect, right? But God will take us as the rock and say, I forgive you. It's okay that you did this. But those ripples are still going to go. But you know what? I'm not going to hold that over your head. I'm not going to make you feel bad about that. I'm not going to belittle you and condemn you. I am going to walk with you 
until the waters get calm again. I am with you in it, and I will forgive you if you choose to ask for forgiveness. The choice is yours. That freedom of choice, there's a lot to it. But God also gives us the gift of repentance. And so, yeah, we may have made some decisions in the past. We may have made some decisions yesterday or even this morning that might cause a ripple effect. And some of those ripples are bigger than others. But God says, if you turn to me, I am the authority. I am the authority. And I only do good. And Jesus, as the main character, died to forgive you. So I will be with you until the waters get calm. And when they get rough again, I'm going to be there then too. And the time after that, 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 and that, and that, and that, until I come and get you for all time. So we can't, in, in one sense, embrace this freedom of choice and then get angry at the one who gave it to us when we mishandle it. When we get outside of God's intention for that freedom. But also recognize that in it, he's there to forgive us and walk with us in it. Let's look at verse uh, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So I read, I read this week that in order for Adam to do this, to name all these animals that are just coming at him that he has never seen before, by the way, right? He had to be arguably the most brilliant man that has ever lived. For him to be able to tend to the garden, right? And then name these, all the things that he's doing. Adam was brilliant. But the reason he was brilliant was because God made him to be that way. God gave him a job and he said, I'm going to give you the tools to do this job. And we're not going to stay on this long, but I do want to say to those in here that need to hear this this morning, there is a job that God has put in front of you, and you need to stop telling yourself that you don't have the tools to do it. You do. If God has put something before you, he will equip you. There was no, there was no biology or class for Adam to go to. These animals were just walking by. It was like lion, tiger, elephant, you know, orangutan, just made that word up, right? I mean, if that's us, it's like goobly-bop, beebly-boo. I don't know, just whatever. Dog one, two, and three. Let's get on with life, right? But he gives Adam the ability and the creativity to see these animals and just know what to name them right there. There's no class that he took. God just says, do it. I've equipped you. And in this moment, because Adam is still under the protection and the umbrella and the intention of God, he just says, okay. Notice he doesn't go, I don't know how to do this. He doesn't question God. He's not afraid of the job. Why? Because sin hasn't been introduced yet. He just trusts God. Oh, what a thought. God says, do it? Okay. Mm. It's funny how when we make our own truth, suddenly God isn't trustworthy. 
But even with doing all that, with as smart as he was, it wasn't enough. Why? Because God is relational. He says it's not good for you to be alone. It's why we're doing these community groups, y'all. We believe in it because it's scriptural. We're supposed to be together in all this. You try walking with the Lord by yourself, you're not going to get very far. But when you have your church family standing alongside you, praying for you, loving you, relating to you, that's when you can get down the road that God's put in front of you. And so we want to say again, and we are going to beat this into your brain, join a community group. I, listen, I really believe with all my heart that we are a family here at Beaches Chapel. It is such a blessing. It is such a blessing. But I believe we can do better. And I believe the family can grow. Do you know what? We have a meeting for our men's mission trip after church today in the, in the cafeteria. Do you know what my, my greatest prayer and excitement for this trip is? It's not the work that we're going to do, which I think is going to be great. It's not going to a different country and seeing it, which is going to be cool. It's when we get back and the relationships that are going to form between 30 men in our church who might not even know each other's names right now, but in less than a month, they are going to be bonded in a way that is so real. That is what I can't wait for, the relationships. And God looks at Adam and he says, this isn't good. Isn't that interesting too? Genesis 1, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is very good. But then he sees someone by himself and says, that's not good. That's not good. And so he's going to fix it because God in all of his authority does good. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. I love Adam's response here to meeting who we will later learn's name is Eve. He says, at last, right? Which is interesting because if you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, there's never a moment where Adam's like, hey, can I have a friend? Could you make a woman for me, please? I'm lonely, right? It's God that sees that he's lonely. And so God provides him something that is good before Adam can even ask for it. Another way to say that, God knows what we need before we do. And so as Adam is naming all these animals that go by him, it's like, that's cool, that's great, but not for me, not for me. And then, and then this woman shows up and he goes, at last, someone like me. And God's like, I know. I made her for you. I made y'all for each other. Because it's not good to be alone. And Adam says, at last. I love that. God knows what we need, y'all. He knows what you need. Many times before we even ask it, sometimes it just takes us understanding what we need and then we start praying for it and then God gives it to us. He knows already. He knows already. In all his authority, God does good. And as we read in Genesis chapter 2 at the end, what we just read, marriage is introduced as something created by God and this is his intention. You know, it's really sad in the world that we live in. We have gotten out of the intention of what God has created. 
And it's really sad. And it's really heartbreaking that many in the world, many of us in the church, have made ourselves the center of the story. And in doing so, we've gotten out of the umbrella of God and we've messed up the truth. And it is a mess. It has become an absolute mess. I do want to say this morning, I'd be remiss if we were reading this and didn't say that the intention for marriage is between a man and a woman. And gender is an important thing. It's an important thing that God has given us out of his creation because what he does is good. But I also, in the same exact breath, church, want to say this. It is not our job to condemn or to judge because what we're then doing is getting out of our role as well in sinning. Our job is to take the word Say, here's what we believe. Here's a story of God loving you. Here's Jesus, the main character. And then we bring him to church, if we can be so bold. And then we do this. We say, have my seat. You take that. And we allow Jesus to be the main character in their lives. And I do believe that there are some that truly struggle with gender identity. And there are, there are many who really struggle with same-sex attraction. And if they could not, they would give it up in a heartbeat. And we need to, as a church, pray for them. Reach out to them and love on them. Because it is only by the grace of God that we know Jesus. And who are we to determine who doesn't? And I believe that as those who struggle in that, in any other area of life as well, might I add, when Jesus becomes the main character in their lives, just watch what he'll do. Just watch what he'll do. But we have to be ready. And let's listen, y'all. Let's remember, Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But he said, woe to you, to the church leaders who were so consumed with themselves and had made themselves the center of their walk, that they could not even recognize Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. God's is close. God's heart is close to those who are far from him. His heart is close to those who are far from him. And if we're not heartbroken over the state of the world, and instead we are pointing the finger, we're doing it wrong. We are doing it wrong. We have to see the world as the Lord does. I read this quote, and I want to read it this morning from a pastor. It says, when, when, when have we forgotten that the church doesn't exist for us? I'll read that again. When have we forgotten that the church doesn't exist for us? We are the church, and we exist for the world. We exist for the world. If we're not a light, who is going to be? Was someone a light for you? Was someone a light for you? Let's be a light to the world. Where we stand on the truth, 
but we walk in grace, just like Jesus did. We stand on the truth, we walk in grace and love, and we pray. And let's also remember that this battle that we're fighting, it's not ours. It's not ours. Jesus has it. Jesus has it. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none, none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things, because he can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And again in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on your new nature. Listen, when we give our lives to Jesus, the old is gone. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's all by His grace. It is not by works. And if it, if it were, guess who would be the center of the story, the main character? I would be. Look what I did. Look what I earned. Look how I lived. But instead, it's look what Jesus did on the cross. Look how Jesus saved me. Here's how Jesus can save you. Gender is so important to us. But our identity is found in Jesus who gave us who we are. And they are complementary of each other. They're never competing. Well, what, we what will we choose in this life, in this world that we live in? Will we be a light? Or we, will we detract people from coming to know Jesus? We'll have the band come up. And I want to read this last verse of Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says this, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So here they are. They've been given this choice. God sees that Adam is alone. He creates Eve. And they're walking naked in the garden with no shame. And as we turn our lives over to Jesus... And just bear with me right here. But it's as if we are back to this moment where we're not covering up. We're not hiding our former self in this darkness. We're not walking around with shame and guilt and condemnation and trying to mask who we really are on the inside by putting this brave face on the outside. No, when we receive Jesus as our Savior and we make Him the center of our lives and the main character in God's Word... All of those things are gone. And we, we shed this, this outer exterior and we just say, here I am, God. 
Here all of it is. But I trust your truth, your truth, that says that you love me so much, no matter what I've done, that you died on the cross for me. And the old is gone. I can take those things off. And I can walk with you unashamed. I stand on that truth. I stand on that truth.
back into worship this morning. And if God's just moving on your heart, I'm really, we had a miracle last Sunday. Jesse and I prayed for someone and checked on them this morning. Literally, word for word, what we stood in agreement for was answered. And that's, that's just, that's just what I heard from one. I didn't even check on everybody else who was up here praying for people. But God is moving up here, y'all. If you need him to do things, take that step. I promise you no one in here cares. We really don't. We did four announcements this morning instead of two, all right? We throw caution to the wind. But if you need prayer, please come up. We love you. Let's worship.